everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is a Penguin Random House publication that's based on my 20-year history as a labor and delivery nurse. And this podcast is just a big, long extension of that. This is where we talk about all the things that go into parenthood, from pregnancy and prenatal care to work matters to the latest studies and current events to politics, sports, rock and roll, all of it, because that's what it takes to be parents of the next generation in the world today. A little bit of housekeeping that I want to take care of. I love getting emails from listeners all over the world, and I love answering questions whenever possible. But, and this is a biggie here, Please remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. I'm a registered nurse with a ton of experience, but I'm not your midwife or doctor. And what I say shouldn't substitute for the essential conversations you must have with them. You should consider my answers as part of your toolkit of information that you'll use to make your own healthcare decisions. And I'm probably going to say that a few times. Ultimately, what you decide to do with my answers or stuff you read in books or on websites or hear from friends or the nurse down the street is entirely up to you. You should consider the information you hear on this podcast as well as what you gather from other sources as part of your education, your support system, and resource materials so you can make the best choices for yourself. In fact, the whole point of this podcast is to help you get enough different perspectives perspectives, and a range of opinions so that you know, you can see it from all, see issues from all angles and make good decisions, or at least know how to navigate the healthcare and parenting system so you get the support you need. But again, I'm not your healthcare provider, and I don't know all the details that go into your health profile. So I'm not here to tell you what to do. Also, don't send me your test results or your ultrasounds or your x-rays or your CT scans and ask me to interpret them for you. My RN license does not qualify me to do that for you. And you need your own healthcare provider to help you understand your test results and options. If you don't understand what they're telling you or you're not getting enough information, then you need to ask more questions or get a second opinion. But one from someone who has your records, understands your full medical profile, and your life circumstances. You deserve that. And while I'm here for you, and I really want to help you understand your options, I'm not going to interpret your MRI results for you or prescribe your care. Phew, now that we're done with that, let's do a listener email and then we'll get to our guest. Anne writes, Hi Jeannie, I've been listening to your podcast and I wanted to ask for your advice. My daughter is due with her first baby and my first grandchild next summer. My daughter is healthy and so is her husband, but I'm worried because I had really hard pregnancies with both my children. My labors were long and I ended up having emergency C-sections both times. My doctor said it's because my pelvis is narrow. My daughter is built very much like me and I'm worried she'll have problems too if her pelvis is narrow too. I mentioned that to her, and she told me she didn't want to talk about it. She said her doctor hasn't mentioned anything about her pelvis being too small, and she doesn't want me to jinx her birth. She's actually mad at me about this. I asked her if she would at least mention my birth situation to her doctor, and she said absolutely not. I'd hate for her to repeat what I went through. I'd actually just rather she went straight for a C-section. 
Why go through all that if you're just going to have one anyway, right? Do you think I should talk to her doctor about it and let him know what happened to me? What do you think? Oh, Anne, you are so worried and I'm so sorry to hear that. Not only because it's clearly causing you a lot of stress, but also because it's leeching the joy out of your daughter's pregnancy for you. Now, you say that your daughter is healthy, but you're worried because of your hard births. You're worried your daughter's doctor won't know what to do, worried that your daughter will have to go through labor needlessly, and you think that by cutting to the chase and having a C-section, that'll make it better. I don't think it will. Obviously, I don't know if you have a small pelvis or not, but if your daughter's doctor isn't worried about it at this point, then there's no reason for you to worry. Most of the time, babies navigate their mother's, mother's pelvises just fine, even when babies are big and mothers are small. I get it that you're worried about your daughter's safety and well-being. I totally get it. But she sounds like she's in pretty good medical hands. And frankly, Anne, I don't think your worry level needs to drive your daughter's care. The fact that your daughter isn't interested in absorbing that worry is actually kind of reassuring to me. It shows that she's not going to let fear and worry about something that's probably not likely to happen drive her care. Now, should you talk to your to her doctor about it? No, I don't think you should. I'm assuming your daughter is an adult in charge of her own health care. You mentioned her husband, so he probably has some opinions about how they're approaching prenatal care too. Those are the people whose opinions are important here. And it seems to me like your daughter has made it pretty clear that you're not part of her healthcare decision-making team this time. And it'd be kind of inappropriate for you to go over her head or to try to have a backdoor conversation with her doctor. You know, this is partly a matter of respect. And, and well, I totally get it that after a lifetime of mothering our babies and tending their little bodies and managing their health care and wiping their butts and making sure they get to the dentist. And, you know, it's really, really hard to back the heck off. But that's the job of parenting, right? We raise them so they can be independent adults. And Anne, your daughter seems to want to make her own adult decisions here. That's a sign that you raised her right. And frankly, her doctor probably won't discuss her pregnancy with you anyway. I would really recommend that you find a way to process your fears that don't include interfering in your doc your daughter's pregnancy. You know, this this issue of people inserting their fear into someone else's pregnancy is so pervasive. You know, tell some people you're pregnant and it won't take more than a minute before they're telling you how horrid their pregnancies were or their neighbor's birth or how awful it all was or how big of an emergency they had. You know, they it's, it's pervasive. They'll, you know, line it up with something like, oh, I just want to make sure you're aware of what can happen. So you don't have to go through that too. Well, excuse me, but that's bullshit. That's not why you're telling them your horror story. You're telling them because you're still traumatized. And you think that by retelling the story to other pregnant women, that somehow you'll get better. Or you just want to take the focus off the pregnant woman and focus it right back on you. I don't know. Um, I call these worry seeds or fear seeds and planting them where they can grow in other women is unnecessary, unkind, and partly responsible for why women are so freaked out about pregnancy these days. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't share your birth story, but have some compassion and discretion, will ya? Pregnant women don't need your stress and worry seeds. They got enough of their own. 
If you have stories to tell that are supportive, inclusive, and normalize how healthy pregnancy is most of the time or should be, by all means, share that. Every parent needs reassurance. Okay, that's that's it for this week in terms of listener emails. Today, we're going to talk with obstetrician Nicole Rankins, who is also an integrative health coach as well as a hospitalist. And we're going to talk about all that and a whole lot more. Let's get Dr. Rankins on the line. Hello. Hi, Dr. Rankins. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hey, Jeannie. Nicole is perfectly fine. Great. I'm pretty casual. I'm glad we can be on a first first name basis. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Nicole, before I got you on the line, I read a little bit from your About Me page that you are a wife mother to two girls, an obstetrician gynecologist physician, and a certified integrative health and wellness coach. So now that I've read your, your about me, I get to ask you the hard question. You ready? Uh, I think I'm ready. Who are you? And what do you do? That is a great question. So it's hard. It's hard. hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, in addition to the things that you mentioned I'm also a daughter a sister a friend um and of course wife and mom and my job are the things that really stand out of when I think about what I do and who I am but really when I think about what I do I would have to say my my purpose and um, my work is centered on service yeah I really Mm. believe that that I'm here to be of service that's a really good answer. I like that. I might steal it. Is that okay? Go for it. We there's so many of us are here um, to be a service, especially when you work in healthcare and when you work in um, with women and with babies. It's it's hard not to feel like you're being of service. And when you wear a lot of hats, when your career is yes. you know more <laughs> than one thing, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it's really difficult to just sort of put it in a capsule and say what it is. Yeah, but when I think about um, what I do, and I'm, tr- you know, we'll get to my work as my job as a hospitalist. It really is about being of, of service. Yeah, and okay. and my coaching. Yeah, yeah. So then, where are you in the country? You're in I'm Virginia. In, yeah, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Is it fall there yet? It is well, kinda. It. I mean, the calendar says it's fall, but it's like <laughs> almost eighty degrees today, and it's been that way since for the last. Um, several weeks it's hardly been cool at all it hasn't really it's cool a little bit in the morning but during the day it gets pretty warm still i was just uh doing an episode with a friend of mine who's in washington dc and she said i am just so done with open-toed shoes yeah i'm like (laughs) like i can't wear open-toed shoes right now because my toenails look like i've been in some sort of altercation so i haven't had a because it's like (laughs) october i'm not supposed to still be getting pedicures on a regular basis so it's been a while since i've had one so i've had to dig out my closed-toed shoes (laughs) Well, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and it is fall to the max extreme out here. It's cool and clear. We've got all the fall colors. It's great. I've got fall for you. Yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. beautiful. So as we, you know, we're kind of talking through who you are and what you do, you mentioned that you're the mother of two girls, an obstetrician, and a certified integrative health and wellness coach. So first and foremost, how old are the girls? 
Uh, one will be 10 in just about a, oh, three weeks, and the other will be eight in December. Oh, what a fun, fun, fun age. For the most part, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think of eight and ten, that's like you are smack in the middle of the make-believe years. That's true. Still believe yeah. in, in those, you know, those kind of things. So it's 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 fun for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dress up is still hardcore serious. Yes. I bet. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. We've been talking about Halloween costumes. <laughs> and they are both going as Star Wars characters. They're big into Star Wars as a result of my husband. So excellent <laughs> now that's just good parenting <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you're an obstetrician and a health and wellness coach i'm really curious tell me the story what's the story of your career yeah it feels like sort of a long story so um I can take it all the way back to college and undergrad i actually majored in mathematics and mechanical engineering thought I was going to probably be an engineer. And then um, I studied abroad for uh, almost a year, like an academic year in Kenya. And we did like projects and I was at a oh. hospital and it just kind of got me interested in medicine. And when I came back, I did like a little bit of volunteer work and decided that I wanted to go um, to medical school. So went to medical school and then toyed between either doing general surgery or being a GYN oncologist, which is a doctor who takes care of women that um, have GYN cancers, like ovarian, um, you know, you know, and I thought for sure that that's what I was going to do and then changed my mind again and um, decided that um, still wanted to do OBGYN, uh, that I wanted to do research. So after I did my residency at um, Duke and then I did a research fellowship or down the road at Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill and um, decided, or made a go of doing research for probably about seven years. I was at two different academic institutions. And uh, at the end, it just, it wasn't going as I anticipated. And I finally came to the realization that although I, you know, I really thought I wanted to do research in academics, it wasn't really the right place for me and for my talents and, and skill set. So I had to stop and take a step back and decide what to do next. And it was sort of a, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And I was, yeah, yes, they do. I was, I was at my, um, you know, Don't after they? like, oh, what am I going to do? We, and this was in the <laughs> background of, um, I kind of shortened the story, but seven years is a long time. And then trying to figure out what to do. And it's like, well, you know, my husband's in school. I, we have girls. Mm -hmm. I don't want to root them. We don't want to move. So really all of these things playing into to what I'm going to do. And I go from my yearly checkup to my OBGYN. She's like, you know, the hospital where I work, I think they're looking for a hospitalist. I said, oh, really? Okay. Well, you know, maybe I'll I'm kind of thinking about making a change. Maybe I'll inquire more. And so I called the um, woman she gave me. And then it turns out that the person who was leaving the position is my neighbor and lives two doors down from me. <laughs> so, so it was like this popped up and then I was able to talk to her about it and everything wow. just kind of fell into place. And now I'm a hospitalist and I just absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So, some of my listeners are familiar with what a hospitalist is. And we've 
<clears throat> excuse me, we've spoken with other hospitalists on the pod in the past, but I think we better define it once again, because in a lot of parts of the country, it's a pretty new model of care. Yeah. Uh, so as a hospitalist, I work only in the hospital. I work mostly on labor and delivery. I mean, I'm an OBGYN hospitalist, but most of what I do is the OB part and taking care of women when they come into labor. And my hospital is very unique in that we take care, a lot of hospitalists only take care of patients that come in that don't have a doctor necessarily, or they're available if needed. But we really are the the primary doctor that's there and even covering for all of the private physicians uh, in the evening and on the weekends. And uh, we also have midwives who we work with who are midwife hospitalists, which is a a unique model where it's not something that you see. So just like the midwives, just like we don't have our own practices, the midwives that we work with are just here, are there in the hospital for delivery. So that's kind of what what, what my work entails. Well, I totally want to talk to you more about what you just started approaching, which is sort of different models of care that work or don't work in the U.S. and around the world. But I want to talk a little bit more about the other side of your career before we do that. And um, you're doing online coaching, health and wellness coaching, and prenatal education, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yep, yep. So uh, I, I've always kind of had this, um, you know, we, you can't really – get health like health yeah. is more than what happens in the doctor's office like almost all most of, of health is actually what happens yeah. outside of the doctor yes so and i really wanted to try and see how i could do or incorporate a more mm-hmm. holistic approach to women's health and um, taking into factors like your spiritual health emotional health um you know even your physical environment can affect your health so how to approach health from a more holistic perspective. And I came across this program at Duke where I did my residency training for integrative health coaching. And basically it helps people make behavior change in their lives. So as a health coach, I help women make behavior change, whether it's weight loss or um, eating more or exercise, I mean, eating better. Sometimes that's what it is. Eating better. Well, maybe (laughs) some of you that's true or not for me, but (laughs) we're exercising more and doing it in a way that is really personalized, um, individualized, and it's also based on the science of behavior change. So that's what, um, as a health coach, I do and what other health coaches do. I love that. You know, I, I spent a good, good long time writing, you know, health articles for women's magazines and newspapers and websites and stuff like that. And after you write about the latest study or treatment or disease or procedure, then at the bottom, you know, it's almost like a template. Then you say, you know, you know, studies show that your condition can also be helped if you eat right, get plenty of sleep, reduce stress, and exercise. Exactly. Always. You just always plug that in as your last, that's your last <laughs> right. bullet point for right. an article. Right. And I always felt like, well, you know, what if we just flipped it, put that up front and said, here's health. Eat right, <laughs> sleep more, reduce stress, exercise, you know, and all of the things that this is what health is. It's what you do to promote your well-being. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. now I'm combining what is like the best of my OBGYN knowledge and skills and then also my health coaching training. And I'm working on an online course that I'm really excited about to help women get prepared for birth. It's really holistic. It's 
comprehensive. I'll have like a, a group component where we'll interact and folks can ask me questions. So I'm really excited about bringing those two worlds together. And then hopefully, because really the most, you know, the, the best way, uh, as you, you know, as you know, as a, a former labor and delivery nurse to have a healthy pregnancy is to be healthy before you get pregnant. And then we do a bad job of yeah. like helping women in between pregnancy. So I'm hoping to try to improve that con- continuum and also provide um, great education for women during pregnancy and particularly around childbirth. That's It's pretty smart because, you know, especially in rural parts of the country, it's pretty difficult for women to be That's able true. to drive to a good prenatal education course. And a lot of what they can access is um, produced and promoted through the facility where they're going to give birth. And t- very often it's more of an orientation to the hospital system rather than a really comprehensive prenatal education. You know, I mean, like they tell exactly. you, here's exactly. the paperwork you should expect. Here are a few breathing tests. Right, and here's where you register. Yeah. Right. Here is yeah. the tour of your room, and this is what an epidural is like. That's <laughs> nutshell, and they do it in six hours, and there, done. That's hardly any of the information that you need to have a healthy pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And not just healthy and safe, but also a fulfilling experience. I think it's important that women are feel good about their experience giving birth. Um, too. We catch a little bit of a backlash. You know, people say, well, you should just be happy that the baby's healthy, but there really is more to it than that. And um, it's perfectly reasonable and appropriate to expect that you're satisfied with your, that you feel comfortable, you know, with your birth experience. So much of our birth culture is, and you know, in our culture in general is, um, you know, once a woman is pregnant, it's all about the baby. She's almost the afterthought and everything that we do is for the outcome, right. we want the baby. And yeah, right. and right. that's messed up. The baby will be fine yeah. if we put all the, the, our attention the, on the woman. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. For, yeah. Sure. for sure, for sure, for sure. So if you've read my book and you've listened to my podcast, you know that I think that mm-hmm. the U.S. Um, birth industry is a mess and that we should pattern it after countries and models that produce, you know, the safest births, the happiest mothers, the healthiest babies, the best outcomes. And in all of those countries, midwives are responsible for the vast majority of women's health care, prenatal care, maternal health care, and births. And, you know, that's a pretty appropriate distribution, considering that we know that at least 85% of pregnant women are healthy and fine, and they don't require intensive or specialty care. Contrast that with in the United States, 94% of maternal health care is provided by obstetricians. And, you know, our births take place in maternity units that are just like intensive care units, even with their own surgical suites. It's a lopsided model for the healthiest women in the country to receive such intensive care. And I oftentimes feel like when I say that, it makes OBs out to be the bad guys, which they aren't. Because the entire educational system for how we staff our birth industry is based on obstetrics. Right. The whole system is organized in a way that simply doesn't work. And, you know, we're seeing OBs are dropping out of the system. Mothers can't find appropriate care. Maternal health outcomes are actually getting worse. It's too expensive. And that's even before we talk about the insurance issue. 
you know, patient insurance, malpractice insurance. I don't even know where to start there. I'm ranting. <laughs> I'll stop. No, <laughs> Jump mean, in, Nicole. Oh, Jeannie, girl, you're going to get me talking. Like, <laughs> Please. It's just, just, it, I mean, it's a lot. It, it is a lot. So I don't like, obviously you're right. You know, countries that have better outcomes for normal low risk women, it's care is delivered primarily by midwives. I don't think that the United States yeah. is going to go to that model anytime soon. There's just not enough midwives mm-hmm. available. And um, obstetricians would, you know, be up in arms over lost revenue, potentially, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, so I think we're going to have to come up with a bit of a hybrid system where we as OBs have to uh, approach birth a different way. Because we see so many, we, we, you know, we see the bad side of birth. It happens. You've seen it before. But we need to start approaching it from a perspective yeah. that most of the time, the majority of the time, everything is normal and fine and we have good outcomes. So we need to start from that and we need to yeah. approach women from that perspective and we need not strap them down in the bed and we need not make them rush into the hospital the second you know a contraction starts and you know we need to be a bit more flexible mm-hmm. and comfortable with the way that we provide provide care so that we're approaching it from a more um, from what it is it's a normal natural process but be prepared to help women mm-hmm. when things don't go as we expect and be able to explain things and 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 talk to women about um, if complications or right. issues arise so i think we need to we kind of approach it from here all the bad things that can happen and if you're lucky you you'll have a normal but that's not actually how it goes yeah it it's intense and it's an intense work environment for you know nurses and doctors to you know uh, I kind of added the insurance industry as an afterthought there, but it really is the driving force for why we do what we do. It is. I mean, the legal climate, and if anything doesn't go perfectly, then the the fear of being sued is is real. Um, Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So real. It's real. People don't necessarily want to accept the possibility that sometimes, despite doing everything right, everything doesn't turn out perfect. Um, it's a hard concept to, ex- and what, to accept. It is. You know, I've talked about it <clears throat> with other providers. There's that moment where you're in a labor room and things are going sour in some way. And at that moment, there's a lot of stress and fear going around the room, certainly for the parents, but also for the nurses and the Mm -hmm. midwife or the obstetrician. There's that moment where you're thinking, okay, we have to make sure that we do everything that we can and document that we've done everything that we can because if this doesn't go well, we're all in trouble here. And that is so frightening, it's so scary. And sometimes doing everything you can isn't gonna produce the outcome that you want and it ends up producing you know, outcomes you don't want. And yet, we're going to do it, because that's how we're trained. It's so frightening. Right, right. It is, it can be, it can be at the same time, though, you can't, I can't practice from a place of fear, because otherwise, um, 
I know. Yeah, it, it just yeah. doesn't work. So, <laughs> you know, you have to be confident in your abilities and know that you're doing the right thing. And you, you can't practice from a place of, of fear because it just elevates the whole situation and in, in, in not right. a good way. You have you know? to approach it, you know, from where we began this conversation, you have to approach it from a place of service. Absolutely. We aren't, Absolutely. We aren't always supported by the system to do that, though. No, we're not. And, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work in a hospital that's very um, progressive. Like our, our mm-hmm. actually our director of women's services is a midwife. Um, so we work with midwives. We are comfortable with things like uh, intermittent monitoring, um, wireless monitoring. We have tubs. We have showers. We do Christmas lights in the room to create nice environments. Um We've been, nice. yeah, it's, 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 and the nurses are comfortable with that. So we, we have a, a fairly progressive model, uh, but I hear stories of, unfortunately, where that's not the case in a lot of places, if not most places. Yeah. And the fact that your hospital staff's hospitalists is actually pretty progressive because, you know, we know that, you know, uh, obstetricians have lives and huge practices and also need self-care. And, you know, when you've been up for 28 hours and you've delivered five babies already and you've got one patient who's making you a little anxious or maybe it's taken a long time, you might make care decisions that are a little different than a provider who is just here taking care of you for your 12-hour shift. That's all I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of you. I don't have... You know, my doctor's dentist appointment in the background, and I'm not worried about the fact that I haven't slept because I did. Right, exactly. And I I definitely, that comes into play a lot with, and this goes back into the um, what you said about OBs being villainized a little bit. There is this this pervading culture that we're rushing to section or, you know, we got to get to to dinner or we got to get home. And and unfortunately, maybe that is the case in some places. So I do encounter that to some um, degree where I have to explain like, you know, no, we're in no rush and we're gonna just keep plugging along. Your baby looks fine. Um, yeah, we, we routinely do two and three day inductions, Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. four day inductions if need be, just because we have a system where we know that we're putting the needs of the the patient and the best interest of the patient first. Sounds like you guys are doing it right. I love it. I believe we are. I believe we are. And I believe this model of having uh, midwives adds another layer on top of that where um, patients are actually seen in their in the offices by their regular doctors, actually physicians. But then when they come to the hospital, they meet the midwives beforehand, like at mm-hmm. a little meet and greet. But then when they come to the hospital, they just um, elect whether or not they want to have a midwife for the delivery. That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Portland is very liberal and progressive in terms of you know birth practices too and we have midwives in every health facility here um, and they have you know full spectrum privileges they you know if you didn't know that they weren't obstetricians um, you know or you didn't need to have a c-section you, you wouldn't mm-hmm. know the difference but in many parts of the country people still don't even know about midwifery they and and in you know some states including new york in most hospitals in Manhattan, nurses aren't delivering the babies. They might see the patients in the offices, right. but they're not delivering babies. That's, yeah, it's, 
we don't have a standard of care, but you know, physicians like yourself are starting to create a new way. And that's encouraging. Yeah, and I think there's there's room for everybody. I mean, there are 4 million babies that are delivered yeah. in the United yeah. States every year. So um, it's, it's really not a competition. It's about um, collaborating to provide the safe, respectful maternity care that, that women deserve. Yeah. So what's included in your prenatal education that women aren't going to get somewhere else? Oh, that's a good question. So um, I really have a framework for it Well, where I kind of take it through um, a step-by-step process. So the first part is kind of setting the tone for the delivery, both your... Uh, like your emotional approach to how you you feel about birth and making decisions for yourself. Um, so setting the tone emotionally, physically, the room, the environment, and then some other who's going to be with you to support you during labor. I believe in doulas. Doulas are great um, support mm-hmm. people in labor. So going through all of that, those kinds of things, and then really some of the details and nitty gritty of labor. So um, uh, your um, what, what labor feels like, um, basics like IV fluids in labor, which you don't have to have, whether you can eat or drink in labor, which you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> which yeah. we don't always, yeah. you know, let women know about, you know, if you're normal and healthy, you can, you don't need to be hooked up to it. And I like a saline lock, but you don't have to be hooked up to an IV. You can drink, you can eat some things. So just kind of educating about the possibilities, um, pushing more so of um, of you don't have to count to 10, like being open to different approaches, letting women kind of do what their bodies are telling them to do. Yeah. Um, pain manage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's a biggie for a lot of people. You know, a lot of a lot of people will listen to this stuff and they'll say, yeah, there's no way my hospital's going to let me have anything to eat or drink. Right. Right. And the answer is, well, actually, you are the one in charge. Right. Right. You do get to be the one who makes the final decision. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm teaching like these are the situations where it's okay. You should be fine with eating or drinking yeah. in labor. But there's some situations where it's not, not advised. Um, so really providing a comprehensive view of, 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 of everything. And then um, pain management, of course, is a, is a big one. And epidural versus, you know, unmedicated birth. I, I don't like to say natural just because I feel like all oh, birth is natural no matter how, you know. It's so, but yeah. um, that's, you know, kind of some of the things uh, that I'm including. You, you mentioned that, you know, the pushing, you don't have to count to 10. And, you know, the way that I was trained was that, you know, we did really active coaching with our patients. You know, okay, take a deep breath. Now hold it. Now push. Two, three, four. Okay, breathe. Push. Mm -hmm. We were so bossy. And (laughs) we came off as, you know, we're really encouraging. But, you know, along the line, I started to realize, why are we bossing her around? She knows when to breathe. It's her body. She can tell exactly (laughs) when she needs to push. Why are we doing this? And so often it's, you know, to give the other people in the room something to do. Right. And sometimes, though, it's just one of the million ways that we 
are overpowering and domineering and telling mothers what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Now you'll yeah. find that some women may need that and you may offer it as an option. Especially if they have an epidural. Yep. Exactly. But, yep. but a lot of women don't. And you can just, the key is to be flexible and just kind of see, be open to trying different things, you know, or even right. I've delivered babies right. when women with women on their hands and knees, just because, you know, or mm-hmm. on their side, you, you don't always have to be on your back. So um, there's a lot of things that I think women don't necessarily know about, about the possibilities. And and I'm also going to teach one of the modules is, and I'm also going to have a a Facebook group where I'll be in the group and we can have one more one on interaction, but how to communicate with your provider. Cause sometimes OBs get a little defensive and how to do it in a way that's respectful and not Mm -hmm. um, feeling like you're adversarial to communicate your wishes and really have a better yeah. understanding of things. I, I had somebody um, email me recently and ask me, um, it seems like I have to know all the things that I want in the delivery room. And I don't, I don't know all the things I want, but everybody that I'm talking to, and I'm not reading her email, but this is the gist of it, right, is right. that everybody around me has these, you know, really specific requests and plans and demands and I just don't am I doing it wrong and I'm thinking oh honey you are doing perfectly you know if (laughs) if you can if you know about all your options and you can just kind of relax and let go of the outcome a little bit go with the flow flexibility is key flexibility is definitely key and one thing and babies don't listen to birth plans at all they can't they don't know anything Never. about them <laughs> they don't ever they read don't them. read them they don't see them so they don't even care about them so we can plan all we want but it's not they, they don't listen to me either they do what they want Mm-mm. to do so we have to those babies but so we we have to be flexible in the process i i I like to think of it more as wishes or preferences or things that you want as opposed to plan because we can't birth is unpredictable and we can't completely plan it yeah yeah and so many women think that if their birth doesn't adhere to their plan then they did it wrong or they had a bad birth or exactly and if they did yeah it's not like that Mm -mm. not at all and that's and that's one of the other things you know i'll be helping some strategies to to deal with if things don't go exactly how how you envision um again Mm -hmm. the most likely thing is that your baby's going to be healthy and you're going to be healthy but the journey there doesn't always unfold the way you anticipated so how to be um, comfortable and it at peace with that and not saying that it's um, wrong to be upset because it's natural if you things mm-hmm. don't go the way you want for you to be upset. Um, but how not to right. let that, um, how to not get stuck in that, that upset feeling and how to move on to the more joyful um, aspects and that kind of thing. You know, there's a, I'd love it if we could do a second episode down the road where we talk about um, what I call curveballs. And I do a whole chapter in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, about you get to the end of your normal, healthy pregnancy, and all of a sudden you get tossed yeah. through a curveball. Like all of a sudden your blood sugar goes up or, you know, something goes wrong. And that I get so many right. emails from people who say, you know, I'm 36 weeks and all of a sudden fill in the blanks. I'd love if we could talk through some of the strategies people can use right. for what to do in those situations. You know, the, 
the reality is, is that things can change. But yeah, the other yeah. reality is that sometimes, you know, p- patients are delivering in a culture of care where it's very, um, you know, very intervention based or very, there. there's a cookie cutter approach and mm-hmm. you are being cookie cut. So what do you do mm-hmm. with that? You know, let's talk about mm-hmm. that on another episode because right. that's a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess I just want to just touch on, you know, a couple other things, um, you know, that I'll be talking about is that I think is important that we gloss over is the postpartum period. And that goes back to how you say we focus so much on the baby and not on the mom. But we need to focus more on mom and her health and well-being after having a baby, because it's a big deal and a big change in your life mm-hmm. and we our our current model I, I wish I knew how to fix this but our current model if you see a woman at six weeks postpartum and that's it mm-hmm. is awful it's awful <laughs> um I mean it's awful and um we really need to do a better job of of taking care of women in the postpartum period yeah you know I had the opportunity recently to speak with a woman who um is in Finland and you know, she was asking me how we do things in the postpartum period. And I said, um, we don't do anything. Yeah. We send them home and we say, see you in six weeks or two months or whatever. Call us if you need right. us. Bye-bye. Right. And she says, well, when does the nurse come to the house? Oh, no, no yeah. nurse comes to yeah. the house. Well, when do they go see the, I mean, they, you go at a week, right? Oh, no, you don't go at a week. That's it. We see you at six weeks or we see you at two yeah. months. Bye-bye. So in Finland, there's a nurse or a midwife who comes to your house for a few hours every single day for the first week and then every week for several weeks after that. So there is somebody there who is making sure that you're eating right, making sure you're healing well, making sure that you're breastfeeding well, that your breasts don't ache, that you're not cracked. You know, I mean, they're taking that care of amazing. you. And that's how they do. That's how they do. It's wonderful. She was appalled. She says, you know, in other countries that, People make fun of the American birth industry because oh. we're so darn young to mothers. <laughs> it's sad, but true. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, Nicole, we should probably wrap up for this episode, but I do want to sure. ask you a couple more questions. How would you fill in the blank on this statement? Nobody ever told me that. Hmm. That your life in your career can unfold in ways that are so unexpected and unanticipated yet absolutely beautiful and perfect amen that's so true then my last question for you is where are you in your life in terms of motherhood oh that's a good question i feel you know i I hate to toot my own horn but i feel like i'm a good mother um I love being a mom and you know my first ba- daughter was born um, eight weeks premature and she had duodenal atresia which is an intestinal malformation I had to get that fixed after birth so I did mm. the whole NICU thing for a month so that was my initiation into motherhood which you never quite forget but she's perfectly healthy mm. and very smart and tall 10 year old now almost 10 but um, I work really hard at being um, 
a good mother being, being, and I think the best example of that is me being my authentic self so they can feel comfortable being their authentic selves and, um, staying true to who I am Mm -hmm. and, and what I believe. And then also a big part is respecting who they are as individuals. I'm not trying to make them into many me's or anything like that. They are smart, creative, funny, and, Mm -hmm. um, really being able to foster who they are as, as girls and help them to be the best, strongest women they can be. So I'm, I'm good with motherhood right now. You're surrounded by motherhood. I am. You're, you're mothering, you're taking care of mothers. Yes. Yep. Is your mother still in your life? She is. She is. My mother is, um, she'll be 80 and, and, um, next year right now she's dealing with a little setback from surgery, but she is coming back strong and um, she's a, a great role model. You know, I, I always like to brag on my mom. She taught math for 50 years. Uh, there's not a lot of people who teach math for 50 years. And she even yeah. teaches in her sleep no, when she's <laughs> now. <laughs> now, one, the wow. one thing I will say about motherhood is that I am most certainly done having children. I am two and through. Two and through. Yes. More power to you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> two absolutely. is plenty. Two is plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tanya, uh, Nicole, this has been really fun. And I feel like we have so much more that we can talk about. So let's plan on doing another episode down the road. That would be great. I would love it. And, and um, you know, where are people going to find you if they want your coaching services or they want to access your uh, prenatal education course? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Thanks for the reminder. Um, my website is NCR Coaching. That's all together. So the letter N, the letter C, the letter R, Coaching. Dot com. I'm also on um, Twitter as Dr. Nicole Rankins and um, Facebook, Dr. Nicole Rankins, same thing. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Jeannie. It was a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Dr. Nicole Rankins. And you can learn more about the work she does at www.ncrcoaching.com. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Find me on Facebook. And go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, wherever books are sold. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a nice review, and share it with all your friends. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. That's it for this week, everybody. We'll talk next week. Bye-bye.